Welcome, beautiful people, to Growthology Podcast. I'm Lorena, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist that is very interested in the science behind all things well-being and growth. And I am Monica. I'm a working mom, a wife, currently a college student, and I'm just an everyday person who's trying to live a happy and healthy life. In our podcast, we discuss topics like personal growth, wellness, mindfulness, and emotional intelligence, and hopes to grow a community of positivity. Welcome everyone to this episode of Growthology Podcast, where we are going to discuss masculinity. So with our guest today, this episode went a little bit longer than normal, just because of the amount of depth that we went into. We decided to break this up into a few different parts and make it a mini series. So please enjoy part one of our masculinity episode. Hello, beautiful people. On today's podcast episode, we're going to be talking about male masculinity in regards to cultural and social pressures. We're also going to talk about impacts of defined gender roles, as well as what is toxic masculinity and why is this harmful. We're going to dive into the topic of where is masculinity headed in our world today, and we also have the help of two guests. I appreciate both of you guys for coming in. We have my husband, who's here with us, so Eric, and we have Chris, who is my future brother-in-law. Well, I guess Eric's future <laughs> brother-in-law, um, but you're still a brother to us, to me. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'd like to thank you guys for coming in, and I appreciate both of you. I think it's so important that we have the male's perspective in this discussion because how can I, as a female, talk about uh, masculinity and social pressures if it's not something that I've experienced? So I really thank both of you for your insights. And there is no right and wrong. Every perspective is valid. So um, I'll go ahead and let you guys introduce yourselves. Well, thank you for the lovely introduction. I'm glad to be part of the family as well. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm an educator here in Arizona. I'm originally from Michigan and I received my bachelor's in social work at Eastern Michigan University and I'm currently working on my master's at Arizona State University for uh, second secondary education. What? I didn't know that. That's cool. I'm a social worker too. Yeah, I'm, I'm much better at listening than I am talking. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it just seemed like a natural career choice. Yeah. But, it doesn't, it doesn't pay very well, so I thought I'd try something new. It definitely doesn't. Hi. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I am Eric, Monica's husband. Uh, I'm an aerospace mechanical technician. I was a uh, prior service member in the U.S. Air Force, and I am from the East Bay area in California. Awesome. Well, thank you both for coming again. I'm going to go ahead and start with part one. So masculinity and gender roles. So I'm going to share you guys share with you guys a story. When I was a preteen, kind of on that brink of becoming a young woman, my dad and I were talking about, you know, potential jobs that I would have when I grew up. And um, one of the things that he told me is you would be a really great secretary. And instantly I was like, "Uh, no, I'm going to be the CEO. And his response was, 
you know, women aren't CEOs. They're just, you could just work for them and pretty much be a secretary. I wish you could see my face right now. (laughs) If you could have saw my face then. (laughs) Um, And the reason why this is so impactful in my life is I think of like the social ceiling, right? And for my upbringing being very machisto, it was a designated role for me based on my gender. And, you know, my personality, I've always been the go-getter. I'm going to do, sometimes it's the most. Um, And, you know, I aspire to be people that are making decisions. And I've always wanted to be that person at that table making those decisions. And I think, I mean, one, there's a little bit of irony because right now I am a secretary in the Air Force. Um, (laughs) But um, I know that my ceilings have already been broken as far as education, as far as joining the military, already trying to break those kinds of stereotypes. So I, I bring this up because I think we all have a lot of pressures that we deal with when, when we're kids and in society about what they're telling us, what we can and can't do. And I hate the idea of jaded gender roles. I think that was something that was pushed on me super hard. Um, And yeah, and this is why I think it's important for both sides to really come and kind of share their experiences. Yeah, and I never got those messages so abruptly, like you mentioned, of your dad saying women are not CEOs, but more of in the household, there was definitely very concrete, the wife does this, the husband does that. So I grew up seeing a lot of that and then growing up and trying to fight against it has been kind of a struggle because it's seen in your family like, oh, you're going to lose a husband if you act that way or mm-hmm. men are not going to want to be with you if you if you behave this way and you don't give them dinner at the time they want it every day or cl- have, have a clean home and that's your responsibility so not so much someone telling me but definitely seeing it was was big growing up mm-hmm. and so I'm going to talk a little bit about s- some research so research has shown that differences between our brains and men and women are actually very small now what r- makes a man a man and a woman, a woman, male or female or other, is gender identity, which is defined as their innermost concept of self as either male, female, a combination of both or neither. And I think for a lot of us, this is a very new concept or idea. So I I know that a lot of people don't agree with this or they don't believe in it, but I'm just broadly talking about research and what's out there right now so it's the way that we perceive ourselves and what we call ourselves and would like to be referred as so once gender identity can be the same or different from our sex assigned at birth so people of different genders often act differently not because of our biology but because of societal norms created around um, a female being feminine and a man being masculine yeah that's that's interesting mm-hmm. that's really cool um i mean it being said plain like that i guess uh when you think of it it's it's confusing but yeah, yeah that, that makes sense it's definitely I, I would say new and 
it can definitely get political or, you know, ideological where people will say like, no, you, you're born a man and you're a man and you have to act like a man or you're born a woman. So you have to act like a woman. But um, yeah, I, this was the whole part of our brains being very similar was a new concept for me. So I thought that was really interesting that we think that we are wired differently, but in reality, there's very little difference uh, in our brains. So it all comes from external rather than internal, the way that we act. So for both you, Eric and Chris, as modern males, what would you describe as masculinity? I think it's a, uh, today it's a misrepresented label. Um, and not saying that masculinity isn't the, the correct label. Yeah, I just think that there's not enough males speaking up about masculinity and therefore it has sort of a, uh, an aged um, definition. I, I can definitely get behind that. For me, it's a little bit harder because I've grown up with this pretty solid construct of what masculinity is. And as I've gotten older and the more relationships I've built with people, that idea or that definition of what masculinity is is constantly challenged and redefined. So it's still very much a gray area for me. Like I, I will try to redefine it for myself as well, but I still get stuck sometimes based on how I grew up. Uh, even even like hugging another guy is uh, is strange and there has to be that buffer, that like side handshake. Is there a two second rule? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the, the double pat, you know, <laughs> the double pat and, and, and then you're, you're done. All right. That's and distance. <laughs> and like, I'll even have uh, other guy friends that will say, love you or I miss you. And, and that's uh, really strange to me. Like I, I'll, I'll think, did you really mean to send that to me? <laughs> like, or, <laughs> A wrong text. Uh, man. Really? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's um. so you hit on, on that construct that was made for you. So can either one of you remember the first time that you've heard the term being a man and what was associated with that role? Uh, yeah, so I was uh, 14 or maybe 15 and I was talking to my mom and uh, just a little context here. I was raised by just a house full of women. I mean, I grew up with my mom, my sister, my grandma, my three aunts, and, um, you know, I had very few male figures in my life and they weren't, you know, present for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. so anyways, I asked her, you know, what does it mean to be a man? What is a man or what does being a man mean? And she told me, um, basically being a man is when you do what you think or what you, what you think is the right thing to do without having to ask permission or, or questioning yourself. Um, and essentially, I think she was just saying to become, you know, being more assertive. The definition of being a man was uh, to be a, an assertive person. Did that definition that she gave you make sense to you at the time? Because I think, you know, 14 and 15, I think, is old enough to have heard a, of a definition or 
a construct around, you know, movies, TV, or just your friends or other families? Like, did it match what maybe you you thought it was? Honestly, it, it didn't. <laughs> and then, like <laughs> you said, I think it's because, uh, you know, movies and, mm-hmm. you know, and cultural influence. Um, just I didn't see assertiveness as as being the, the focal point of, mm-hmm. uh, of being a man or masculinity. I mean, uh, yeah, I had no, I, I think I, I was even more confused than before I asked her. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, thanks, mom. Yeah, I'm like, well, that just threw me for a loop. Now I'll never figure it out. <laughs> oh, what about you, Chris? I, I have a very similar background uh, as Eric. I grew up. Um, mostly with with women, my mom's sister, all my cousins were uh, were girls, and uh, so I was constantly spending time with them, and I was learning social constructs through them. And because I was exposed to that, I had a lot of curiosity about things that they were doing, things that they were wearing. And around six or seven, I started asking questions. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this on a recorded podcast but like i i tried it i tried wearing women's clothing and and makeup and i was, it was really just I was curious about yeah um and that's when uh my dad stepped in and shut that down and it was like you know it it just instilled this message that what i was curious about was wrong and it's not something that i have a desire to continue exploring or anything but the fact that i didn't have that room to ask questions or be curious about. It was like um, that really set the tone. And from there it was, that's when I was like, okay, I got to be more like my dad or more like my uncles and my grandpa and Mm -hmm. things like that. And they're very standoffish. It's interesting that you're saying that you're saying that because I was very tomboyish when I was a kid and I would wear my brother's clothes and um, it was like my mom hated that I didn't want to wear makeup or I didn't want to be girly. Um, so I can kind of relate that that same thing on the other side is, is that I think at one point and I was total like tomboy at this point, like wearing exactly what my brother was wearing, which I mean, if you remember 90s fashion, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but um, one of the things my dad told me was like, nobody's going to want to marry you if you dress like that. Oh, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, that lack of permission to explore who uh-huh. you are is, I mean, I think it's it's hurtful, but it's hard to, I think it took me longer to figure out what I was comfortable with. Um, I don't think I was comfortable being girly when I was a kid for a lot of reasons, but um, but I definitely relate to what you're saying. And that's interesting that, you know, you have that same, um, that same experience. Yeah. And it's crazy that we get this push from even before we're born. It, if you think of mm-hmm. gender reveals and baby showers, it's like if it's a boy, it's all blue. If it's a girl, everything is pink. It's like before we even come into this world, we're like, okay, if you're a boy, this is what your color has to be. And if you wear a color that's different than this, then that's wrong. And mm-hmm. my husband actually went through that because he has 
a really colorful fashion sense and he he loves all types of colors and growing up his family was like why are you wearing uh pink and orange and red like and they would question him for that just because he liked colorful clothing yeah i remember the uh i think it was the term metrosexual yeah. i think that's mm-hmm. what they used mm-hmm. to kind of describe that yep. yeah Oh yeah, that was uh That's a throwback right there. <laughs> that was my label in high school. I think uh I don't know how many times I was called Metro. What does that even mean? <laughs> what is what does it all mean? Um I'm going to quote a movie. It's a, a straight man with taste. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of sucks that it was used as a negative term. Right. Yeah. I grew up in the Midwest. There's so there's a lot of uh you know, country folk mm-hmm. and so any anything that's clean or fashionable <laughs> is you know, they're gonna be like, What? Yeah. <laughs> that's fancy. That, that ain't right. So I looked it up and it says metrosexual, <laughs> a young urban heterosexual male with liberal political views and interest wow. in fashion and a refined sense of taste. <laughs> Dang. That's you, Eric. Right on the nose. <laughs> That's really interesting that they tied it to a political party. Right? You know? I had yeah. no idea. Like it's a political statement. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. It would be liberal, though. <laughs> you know, and then hearing you guys talk about this, I'm I'm wondering, like, what is it with, like, the pressures of masculinity and trying to be as far away from being gay, Right. Because a lot of times if you're metrosexual, then it's like, oh, well, you're straight, but you have taste and that could be gay. Or if you dress like a girl, then you could be gay. What like I don't understand what is the thing about not wanting men to be gay. Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. I think metrosexual, the term itself is kind of like a is like a rail so that you don't step into homosexual territory, Mm -hmm. you know, that. It's a label that, hey, you know, you, you're fashionable, you have a good, you know, sense of style, and, but you're not gay. And I, I think that's definitely the wrong, mm-hmm. you know, wrong approach, wrong perspective mm-hmm. of, of that. Yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't lie. I think uh, just like Chris, his experience with his dad, I, I had the same experience with my dad. It's obviously, I think it's just a huge insecurity for men. A lot of men is, is homosexuality. And that, uh, you know, that that opens up a lot. That's like opening up uh, Pandora's box, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Certainly not being able to have a discussion about it leaves a lot of men in this uh, place of ignorance. Uh, like, and because of that, there's there's fear. They don't understand it. And there's a lot of fear behind it because they haven't been able to have a conversation about it or understand it. And so it that uh, narrative is constantly perpetuating, mm-hmm. you know. So since your upbringing, how would you say your definition of being a man has changed from what you were taught? Drastically. It's hard to say uh, how much, but I know it's been a lot. And that's because you live it, right? You You go from being... From, from questioning and from like an out-of-the-box perspective, I guess, to actually being in it and living and being a man and 
and what that means. And you come to find out, you know, assertiveness is not all it is. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it definitely uh, it, it it's changed, and it's it's actually I I think a lot less uh, what everyone sees or thinks. It's not about being tough or brave. It's it's about being vulnerable and and fearful and dealing with those emotions and not and not straying away. I guess that's where the the real bravery is is having to deal with all that. Which is, I don't think, is much different than uh, a woman per se has to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. and that and that's kind of where this whole masculinity, you know, thing, this label, I don't understand completely yet. It's it's changed a lot for me as well. Like I said earlier, you know, I I still struggle with that narrative that was hardwired into my brain, you know, um, and I'm constantly having to be reflective of it and challenge it. Um, and masculinity has been more about trying to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically healthy, finding that balance. Because uh, as I got older, I started to notice a lot of the men in my family or in my circle of friends. Um, a lot of them were miserable, and I couldn't really have a conversation with any of them. Um, you stuck to your non-controversial non-vulnerable topics, you know, sports, weather, politics, whatever. And you never really talked about anything real. And because of that, their, their actions or their behavior reflected that. And it was, it just, it was awful. You know, <laughs> they're not happy. And I didn't want to be like that. Yeah. Right. So Chris, do you feel that vulnerability is frowned upon for men? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you <laughs> like, I I can't get a straight answer like it, it, from my dad mm-hmm. when I would ask him about life or experiences. Like, hey, this is something that I've been thinking about. What has your experience been like? Um, what have you done? And I could never get an answer from him. It, mm-hmm. it would always be followed up with another question, or he'd try to make a joke or change the topic. And so it was those conversations really unsatisfying and uh, just subconsciously told me, like, I guess I guess we don't talk about that. And I got to figure it out on my own. It sounds like you made him uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, it's um, like he was like, oh, no, (laughs) he swerved. I mean, abort mission. (laughs) Like I. First of all, I, I doubt my dad will ever hear this podcast <laughs> or know about it. But, like, I'm not trash-talking my dad. I love my dad. He's done a lot for me. <laughs> but, like... Monica and I have talked about our parents, and it's hard because we, we do always make that disclaimer. Like, oh, we're not saying they were bad parents. Just, just <laughs> they like, did they didn't best. know any better. Right. Yeah, they, did, they, they gave us the information that they knew and that they were taught. Right. So what, what's what they had at the yeah. time. Uh, like even asking him, hey, what do you want to eat? <laughs> I could never get a straight answer. And Eric, do you feel that being vulnerable is frowned upon? Uh, yeah, I think uh, generally speaking, everyone uh, tries to put up a front. Uh, they, nobody wants to be vulnerable. I think uh, men, women, uh, and yeah, masculinity kind of 
has this stigma where you know showing feelings emotions being vulnerable is is a bad thing and so yeah in my own experience with my my dad just and and even you know circles of friends that i i used to have i think i uh right now the circle of friends that i've chosen to have we're all pretty vulnerable with each other i i tell you know i tell chris i tell tell my best friends i i love them and i miss them and you know we hug for like two seconds or more <laughs> and yeah i think uh, i've chosen to uh to be vulnerable with these people and that's been a huge relief for me so i like to hit a lot on culture because i feel for both myself and probably lorena agrees that um the latina or hispanic culture does have that machisto part that aspect of extra pressure that you know other people in different cultures might have a different kind of pressure so do you think that your culture or your background has affected your perception of what the role is for masculinity and fem and femininity. And if you could just um, talk a little bit about that that culture and and how that ties into it. So yeah, I mean, I'm Filipino, and it's a lot so like it's very similar to the the Latino culture. You know, the same machismo. And um, do you guys call it the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, uh, I grew up hearing the word machiso. I mean, I didn't really understand what it was. They said, oh, that's like your grandpa, you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, well, You're like, does it mean old? Yeah, and I was like, well, that's that's cool. I like my grandpa, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's so funny. But yeah, I mean, um, I think culture has a huge influence on uh, on our perception of gender role, and and uh, Chris, uh, <laughs> this is uh, specifically uh, you know some information for you. Um, I think Melanie and I definitely <laughs> had this uh, gender assumption, you know, roles growing up. Uh, and I don't know if she shared with you, but you know, mm-hmm. Melanie would cook for me, pretty much you know, growing up. And, and she was a lot younger than you. Yeah, four years younger than me. So Wow. Yeah, she said you'd starve without her. <laughs> I I really would have at that point in my life, yeah. I didn't know how to cook. And honestly, I think I knew how to cook a steak. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the only thing I was shown, you know, how to, how to cook steak. And how old was Melanie? What was your age when she started cooking? Like, what was your guys' age? range oh really young and melanie was probably seven or eight wow wow and uh yeah it was before i was a what a teenager when i was a preteen, <laughs> like when i was 11 12 years old uh i remember melanie in the kitchen cooking for us and and honestly i thought that was like you know normal normal i thought that was yeah. how it's supposed to be <laughs> That sounds bad, but you know that was the assumption. That's kind of like what culture taught us at that point. So when when did you start learning how to cook? He's still learning. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, dude. Apparently, I, I was in the military, and I remember I got my my first apartment, 
and I had to really, you know, I couldn't go to the chow hall or anything. And I had to, I knew how to make eggs. I think that was my specialty, scrambled eggs yeah. and everything else was uh, eating out. I don't think I learned how to cook until I moved to Italy. Yeah, so when I was like 24, 25 years old. What about you, Chris? Uh, when did I learn to cook? <laughs> no, in your well, sure, but in your culture, like, mm. do you think that your culture growing up or your, you know, your ethnicity affected your percent your perception of gender roles or? Uh, yeah, I mean, TV and movies were my babysitter growing up, so I was influenced a lot by Western culture, and so I would watch these movies, and the leading male role was always strong, silent, stoic type. And even with characters that I identified with, you know, like um, it still kind of followed those same guidelines of this stoic, silent, wise warrior type thing. Like even uh, I, one of my favorite movies, Smoke Signals with uh, Adam Beach and oh, I can't remember the other actor's name, but there are these Coeur d'Alene natives uh, that are going to get uh, their dad's ashes off the reservation. And on the way, they have to take this bus and share it with a bunch of white people. And <laughs> they're saying to each other, you gotta look tough. You don't want white people to look all, or walk all over you. You know, look like you just came back from uh, hunting buffalo and the other characters response was, but our people are fishermen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't look like you just came back from hunting fish. You gotta look tough. <laughs> Otherwise people look, walk all over you. Um, but just kind of made a joke and really touched on that um, hyper-masculinity. And uh, there's even a book that I, I constantly recommend reading all the time. It's Masculindians. It's a conversation about indigenous manhood um, by Joseph Boyden. So I would recommend if anybody has the time to check that out. And it, and it ties masculinity within the native culture and, and its effect on mental health, mental and emotional health. That sounds interesting. I'll have to look into that. So Chris, can you go over really quick? What was like, what were the things that you learned about masculinity and gender roles um, from what that book told you about indigenous culture? I learned a lot from what masculinity meant in indigenous culture. And again, there's, you know, I'm not speaking for all, natives and there's all these different tribes that have different cultures and languages. So masculinity is going to look a little bit different according to who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. But it talks about how that uh, Western European conquest and the historical trauma that's been passed on and, and how it really influences and redefines masculinity among native people. And then the influence in movies, etc. And just really breaking that down and, and what that means for Western Europeans and what it really meant for Native people prior to colonization and, and how we can take steps towards decolonizing masculinity. You know, really interesting read. Yeah. Did it talk about what those gender roles looked like before colonization? So there's this term that I'm sure some of you might have heard is uh, two-spirited people. Mm -mm. I have it. So what that is, is people that they, they might be born as a male or a woman, but they, 
they identify with both genders and their sexuality is fluid and they were considered or are considered sacred and holy people. I'm, I'm trying to be careful here because I, I don't want to give misleading information or misspeak, but roles within tribes was fluid as well. If you wanted to be a hunter as a, as a woman, you could do that. Um, if you wanted to be a gatherer or make clothing as a male, you could do that. It was, it was just serving a purpose for your people. Mm-hmm. So pretty much you can define what that meant as long as it was helping the overall tribe. Right. Yeah. And again, there's so many different tribes that mm-hmm. have different expectations and all that. So it, it might look different depending on who you're talking to. But Right. Well, that's really interesting. I know that we've talked about it before and that was like, wow. I guess you don't really think about how much of these gender roles or stigmas or societal pressures come from colonization. And that's definitely something I'm interested in now and learning about. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. So we've talked a lot about what masculinity has meant for us and you guys growing up. Um, It's defined as a way that men and boys behave and their set of attributes. So it's the traits that are often viewed as masculine especially in Western society, which are things like strength, bravery, independence, leadership, and assertiveness. So Eric, your mom was right on the spot with that one. (laughs) (laughs) She actually gave you good info. (laughs) Yeah. Not so misleading, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So have y'all ever thought about like, where do these gender roles come from? And I think the Westernization definitely comes into play um but where did they get it from like at what point was all of this defined i hate gender roles i think for the most part our generation is really working on kind of being more open and inclusive to equality which is a great time to be alive. I think this is the best time in history for women to be alive because of those things. I already mentioned the machisto kind of upbringing. I think that pretty much covers all of my questions. Thank you, beautiful listeners, for tuning in today on our episode part one of Toxic Masculinity. We will be continuing on the conversation in part two, so make sure you tune in. And remember... Stay growing, you guys.